Welcome to the Christ Redeemer podcast. Uh, my name is Paul Harrell. I'm here with a pastor at Christ Redeemer PCA. Bar Overcast is with us. Bar, how are you? Doing well, Paul. Thanks for um, getting together and doing yeah, this together. I'm glad. Well, this was your idea, and I'm really glad that uh, we can do this. So, this is right now uh, Christ Redeemer preaching through the book of Exodus. You've preached a couple times. Austin Brash preached last week. Uh, Jeff Rayford uh, as well. And uh, this podcast, just tell us a little bit about why we're making this particular podcast. Yeah, so we're going through Exodus right now and we're getting into the plagues. And what I want to talk about today is something that kind of transcends any particular text. So the way that we normally do sermon series is we, we, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse in order and kind of take each in, in a section. And this is one of those things that doesn't necessarily, it's not about any one particular passage or what's going on in any particular um, part of the story, but it's something that's sort of a theme that runs throughout the plague accounts. And so I just thought it would be great to get together to talk about this yeah. and kind of make people aware of this this theme that runs in the background through all of the, the things, the stories that we're going to be reading in the coming weeks. So for those uh, who are going through this sermon series uh, with at Christ Redeemer, this mm-hmm. is much like a, a supplementary uh, yeah. you know, convention. This can yes. help people. Uh, and to, maybe yeah. it may, if, you, if you went through it and did this in a sermon, it might kind of get out of the expositional preaching mode. Yes. Well, I think two, one is there. It, yes, it doesn't. Um, it's something that, yeah, is crosses across multiple stories. But then I think also it is a little bit more, I don't know if academic is the right word or yeah. just, uh, it's not necessarily something that you would normally talk about on a Sunday morning yeah. in, a, yeah. in a sermon. Yeah. You know, it's a little more. So the plagues of Egypt, mm-hmm. there are 10 plagues. Um, yes. I, I was reading this morning and, you know, you get those the verses where it's, you know, God continues to harden Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as soon as I think that that's what's going to happen after the next plague, uh, it, it says something a little different. It says, you know, basically, you know, Pharaoh reject, rejected mm-hmm. this, you know, rejected yeah. the events that happened or the lesson he was supposed to yeah. learn, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of this back and forth. I notice where you have, you know, God hardening Pharaoh's heart, but also Pharaoh's with not yeah. is, yeah. is not... I think it actually says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart yeah, at some point. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's yeah. that's what I'm trying to get at. And so to me, uh, it's it's fascinating. But with each one of these plagues, what you want to talk about has to do with some specific gods in Egypt that the pagan Egyptians were worshiping. Yeah. These plagues address and rebuke, really, each mm-hmm. one of those gods, right? Yeah. So the big thing that... Uh, is going on in these plagues is that God is sort of one by one in one sense, but also at the same time taking them off. He's basically just taking on the Egyptian gods. And um, I was, I couldn't think of uh, the specific video game, but I think it's like, um, I'm just one of those where you're just, it's basically, hey, I've got next kind of concepts of he goes up against one, takes him out, next guy comes along takes them out um, kind of idea. Um, so, But it's tied into this kind of larger idea of that you see several places in the Bible, and it really picks up speed here, um, where 
basically the the Bible uses the language and sometimes the the stories of the culture around it to critique the culture around it. And um, so, and for instance, just an, an example of that, it would be the flood story. So um, the, a lot of people know that there are accounts of the flood in other cultures, um, the Epic of Gilgamesh being yeah. kind of the famous one. Uh, well, when you read those side by side, there, there are similarities between the two stories. And one, um, one of the things that's going on there is that there, right, there was a flood, and so you have these different uh, accounts of this one event, right? We believe, us believing that, that the biblical flood story being the one that's, that's accurate and mm-hmm. true. And, um, yeah, but the enemy is going to have to. The enemy would have to explain the, the deluge somehow. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right, so right. it's so, basically the uh-huh. world's take on yeah, what happened. That's yeah. going to try to discredit God mm-hmm. from his judgment. Yes. But some of the ways that that story is told in the Bible actually harkens to these other cultures uh, accounts so for for instance uh, and, and and in referencing those accounts rebukes them and so the one example of this would be that the earliest flood account that we have record of talks about the reason for the flood is that people human beings were being really loud and obnoxious and the gods got tired of it and so they decided to wipe them out. Wow. Whereas the flood very consciously, very intentionally says that the you know man's heart was only evil continuously. That it's not that God's just like fed up with people. It's no, God is righteous. Man was sinful. And so God brought his perfect justice to bear. And uh, just making this very explicit uh, distinction between the gods, the pagan gods who aren't really gods, and the perfectly righteous God of, of the Bible, Yahweh. Uh, so that's sort of an, an, just an example of what's, from elsewhere in Scripture, of what's going on here in the plague accounts. It's where, where God is using specific events and specific uh, ways of, of, of delivering his people not just to deliver them, but to give a message at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and ultimately, you know, we know that the the number one reason that God is acting in this mm-hmm. sense is for His namesake, for His glory, and He certainly, man, if you really think about it, if you go, if each one of these plagues or most of these plagues have some direct connotation to uh, Egyptian gods that they were worshiping, um, and historically, I mean, we know that when the Israelites, when the Hebrews finally were uh, were delivered. Okay, it wrecked Egyptian society. I mean, from and and when you yeah. look into these gods, okay, mm-hmm. he started with the theology. He started wrecking their theology yeah. because you know if you put yourself in an Egyptian shoes, um, for example, Austin uh, Brash in his sermon he preached on Exodus seven this past week. And he got to a part where he he admittedly said, you know, this kind of makes me uncomfortable. And it was the part where, so, you know, God has told Moses and Aaron, throw your staff, throw your staff down, it's going to become a snake. When So you go to Exodus 7, and you look there in, uh, in verse 10. Uh, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, 
and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned their wise men and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Now, I have to imagine that we're dealing with some supernatural demonic forces yeah. here. It, it yeah. doesn't say that it was some you know, parlor trick. It, they, mm-hmm. These, from what I read here, yeah. literally were actually serpents. So, you know, imagine yourself as you're an Egyptian where you have these gods and let's, and it's an assumption, but maybe there were other supernatural things that Mm -hmm. were going on, demonic things in there. And so God comes in and not only wrecks through society economically in the end with the cattle dead and and everything else, he has, you know, rebuked their theology, rebuked their pagan gods. And likewise, putting putting yourself in the shoes of, of a Israelite enslaved in that environment where the pagans around you actually are worshiping these gods and they're able to do these yeah. things. Yeah. I mean the the temptation of unbelief of a god that's now left, you know, had you've been enslaved for 400 years. Egyptian, you know, the government really not only did they have the political power it, you know, most people would look and say, my goodness, you guys have yeah. actual magical powers, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it is, it's one of those places that um, at first blush seems weird, you know, that, I mean, the author of Exodus is Moses is even willing to admit that these mag- magicians were able to do this, um, but clearly it shows there's something, something going on beneath the surface mm-hmm. and something... Um, demonic, if we can say, you know, going on. Yeah, I mean, um, and I think that's what lends to this this rebuke of God mm-hmm. by God. Um, and, you know, of course, we do know yeah. that, that Moses' serpent, uh, God's mm-hmm. serpent, devours yeah. the other. Yes. Um, and, you know, then there's also, we could also read into some symbolism of, of the snake, you know, what that means going all the way back, you know, the serpent mm-hmm. and the garden. The and garden. Yeah. and uh, the fact that, you know, when when... When God has his snake, he devours the others. I mean, it was just the beginning. And the magicians look at Pharaoh and they say, we can't do that one, though. We can't have our, you know. And this continues, plague after plague. The magicians, um, or for a couple Mm -hmm. of plagues anyway, say, you know, we can't do that. For the, when when they turned the the Nile uh, Mm -hmm. into blood, it references the magician saying that, well, we can't, we, you know, we can do some of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I read this morning and had forgotten that mm-hmm. it happens again. Yeah. Um, so let's get into, again, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking uh, with Bar Overcast, Pastor of Christ Redeemer. We're doing this supplemental podcast because Christ Redeemer is going through the book of Exodus, preaching the book of Exodus right now. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the, the, the plagues and how they related to Egyptian society and yeah. the gods. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one, so the big, so first plague, right, is uh, the water being turned into blood and that you, uh, so it starts with the Nile, but then it's not just the Nile. It talks about how, uh, you know, all of their drinking water and the canals, rivers, ponds, Every pool of water becomes blood, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Um, and so here, I mean, it's simply God is basically, he's, the, all right, the Nile was the source of their life. There was a, 
um, the god, I think it's Hoppy or Happy or something, uh, is the god of the Nile, who okay. is basically, I think this is the plague that of all of them can really, uh, really resonate. Because, I mean, we can all imagine if every, imagine if every source of water became blood. Like, you, I mean, we, you know, it's hard to go a couple of, you know, a day without drinking water. It's true. It's our, it's a source of life for us. And, mm. um, and I think that's it's important to realize with these plagues, it can be easy to see them from this big, I mean, and that is one of the things we're talking about is this idea of like sort of this cosmic battle that's going on, but to realize that there's real people who are being affected in very real ways by these plagues and real people being affected in real ways that these, they were trusting in these gods to, uh, for their their livelihood, for their their uh, says the their fit, joy. The, yeah, the fish died. Yeah, you know, so um, and the the Nile mm-hmm. is what gave them fish. What gave them food. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So that's that's one of them. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them. You can actually look online and you can find some uh, PDFs of where they'll go one to one with each of the mm-hmm. Egyptian gods. But um, and then there's this book that I think so, a lot of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, this is uh, so this book that um, it's called Against the Gods by John Currid. He was one of my professors in the seminary, and he he takes the he's he addresses several of the places in Scripture where there's this sort of um, he refers to it as polemical theology, where basically it's God uh, um, kind of doing his own uh, or not doing his, where it's God just going against the the um the pagan gods and showing his supremacy over over all other deities and uh, yeah and kind of the so one of the illustrations or one of the thought of two things to kind of help un- unpack that concept and one of them is if you've ever seen the like the Darwin fish bumper stickers yes. where you like take the um you know the Jesus fish and they turn it into they take what should be a you know a symbol of yeah, yeah. of righteousness and the gospel right? yeah. And, yeah yeah um maybe a, a more an, an example of this that is more favorable to us is have you ever seen that there's contradict bumper stickers so the the coexist bumper stickers i know the coexist so, one well it's like hey Let's not be friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, hey, look at all <laughs> these things. Well, no, I shouldn't say Well, that. I knew somebody who had a bumper sticker. It was the same sort of format where it spelled out the letters using all of the different symbols of different religions and philosophies, um, but it spelled out the word contradict. And so so it, it, the whole idea is you're taking something that is uh, belongs to someone else and using it to um, show why you're right. And right, kind of right. to you know to um so you're saying god invented god's that doing that's what god's doing right here he's <laughs> yeah. um yeah. And and he's probably the, it, it, he's the first one to do it not yeah uh, not yeah us. yeah um that's great. but he's basically i mean it's he's coming along and he's saying hey you think that your gods are in charge of keeping the nile are in charge of uh you know keeping life going well you're wrong like i am the one who controls the the rivers the seas the animals mm. all of it comes from me yeah um, 
So, but a couple of the other just kind of interesting ones is the the plagues. So the of the second plague of the frogs that there was a god uh, named Hecate who literally just had a frog head. And so the, a lot of scholars point this that second plague towards um, the god or goddess Hecate that it was sort mm-hmm. of a, a rebuke of her. Um, what are some of the other ones? Then then the third plague is the gnats that come up from the earth which um, some scholars point to being a, a rebuke of the, the goddess or the god Geb, who is sort of the, their earth mm-hmm. god. Yeah. And I will say this. Uh, so Exodus, in Exodus uh, 18, that's, that's in the middle of the gnats plague. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading this morning, that's the first time the magicians tried by their secret arts mm-hmm. to reduce gnats, but they, they could, could not. not. Yeah. And that was kind of like, to me, I was like, "Oh, okay." Because yeah. you know, if you go back to the, uh, th- this is what's odd to me. If you so, if you go back to the River of Blood, uh, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, and then I think it's the same way in the frogs as well. Yes, yeah, so the gnats are the first plague where uh, they're they're not able to reproduce the where the Egyptian magicians aren't able to reproduce. Yeah, it, they, it's specifically and, it's specifically mm-hmm. noted there with with the gnats, which I just found so interesting. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, you wonder what what is it about the gnats? Yeah, that yeah, it's different. Yeah. You know, you can, you can create snakes from from rods, but you can't yeah. create gnats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, another one of those things that's funny about them reproducing the frogs is they it talks about them being able to. Right, reproduce it. Well, like this was a plague. There, Moses brought in all these frogs that people didn't want, and then the magicians are like, "Hey, we could do it too." You know, like here's twice as many frogs. Yeah, here, here, but yeah, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. How, how, yeah. Odd. Yeah. you know, it would really been something if they'd been like, "Why can't you? If you can make them come, why can't you make them go make away?" Them go away. Yeah. yeah. So it was just a constant, mm-hmm. uh, just a constant deconstruct of their society. And and God yeah. started with their yeah. phony theology, polytheism. Uh, and it and it really went from there, yeah. um, you know. And, and then, of course, in the meantime, again, you're an Israelite, and your labor's getting doubled or tripled, mm-hmm. and everything else, while this is happening. Um, but you know, in the end, there is deliverance. And uh, you know, I, I definitely thought this morning when I was reading this, I certainly thought about Pharaoh. My prayer was actually, Lord, don't harden my heart uh, the way mm-hmm. you hardened Pharaoh's heart, because. Especially when Pharaoh starts to say, okay, I'll let your people go. Just take the darkness away or take the frogs away or take the gnats away. I thought about my own life and I thought about how many times, you know, do I want to be delivered for for whatever it is? And then once the Lord blesses me, takes care of me, answers my prayer about a, a little thing or a big thing, am I willing to you know, continue to follow him. And obviously not. I mean, obviously I, I fail at yeah, that. Like, yeah. like we all do, yeah, whether it's yeah. in thought or deed. Um, but you know, that's to Austin's yeah. point from his sermon mm-hmm. that like, we're all Pharaoh in this context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that points us to our need for yeah. per- perfection, which is really convicting. Cause in so many ways, Pharaoh is like the first, he's sort of like, he's like the arch villain, you know, and yeah. like to be reminded, well, we're, not much different. Yeah, yeah we're, really we're God's arch villain, yeah. and he died for yeah. us. Okay, so the second to last plague 
the plague yes. of darkness. And I noticed yes. I was reading today, and mm-hmm. this happened in a few of the plagues, wherever the Egyptians, or I'm sorry, wherever the uh, the Hebrews mm-hmm. were, um, the plagues weren't affecting the, yeah. the Hebrew camp. Yeah. So that certainly would uh, start to lend itself to, like there was probably, now that I think about it, a lot of these Hebrews uh, who were, you know, starting to think, wow, there is something going on here. You know, mm-hmm. like the the power structure is being, are being yeah. oppressed and God is getting the credit, God's getting the glory for it. Um, you know, so we talked about a few of these gods. Uh, Hecate, um, you know, was a deity uh, mm-hmm. and the frogs and that symbolism. Then you've got uh, Jeb was with the gnats of the earth. But the plague of darkness, um, when I was growing up and when you got to the Egyptian chapter on... Uh, in your history books, in the mm-hmm. public school system. First of all, they always said that the Egyptian religion was a mystery religion, which now I know is, I mean, I think it's... Can you it's, explain for, for our listeners who may not know what Well, I just feel like it's a way to say that they weren't worshiping Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, uh-huh. it's a mystery religion. It's like, no, they're, 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 these, these, are, these are pagan gods, and the scripture's yeah. telling us they actually have powers from it. They can turn, mm-hmm. you know, rods into snakes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you, we would definitely, uh, definitely heard about, uh, Ra mm-hmm. or Amon Ra and it was yeah. sun worship. I mean, this was kind yeah. of it. Yeah. And it makes sense that pagan cultures would worship the sun yes. because it uh-huh. makes the day, you know, so you can go yeah. do things. Right. So tell us about, you know, the plague of darkness, darkness. and yeah. what you found out about that. Well, one of the fascinating things about the plague of darkness is, I mean, darknesses would be inconvenient and it'd be frustrating, but... You compare that to not having, you know, having bloody water, having gnats and frogs and hail and all of your livestock dying. Darkness feels, you know, like, you know, it's like, okay, we get a little respite here. Yeah, and, um, that's true. Yeah, I would think that as know, well. Yeah, but, and that's why it's so helpful can be to understand this idea, this sort of, um, this rebuke idea, because... The significance of this plague is not the sort of physical uh, horror of it. It's it's the, the the meaning behind it. So yeah. So as you said, Amon Ra was he was the the sun god, right? The the chief god for the Egyptians, and he was the keeper of of order. So the uh, Egyptians, interestingly, they're they're so if we think of our most import our key value would be goodness versus evil, right? That's when you you watch a story or watch a movie, read a book, right? It's good versus evil. You want to see good triumph. For the Egyptians, their their primary way they viewed the world was through the ideas of order and chaos. And for them, Ra was the bringer of order. I mean, you think about just the sun. Rises yeah. every every morning, the sun comes up, and that's is there's there are a few things you can count on the same way is just that the sun is always going to, that there's always going to be another morning. The sun's always going to rise. It's always going to set. I always found, find this idea of order and chaos fascinating personally, because these ideas have more in our lives than it's just not something we think about, but it is really impactful, right? Cause you think about life without order is exhausting, right? We need order. We need structure in our lives. So we're not, you know, we need to be able to count on certain things happening and mm-hmm. that everything we do isn't going to be something new, right? Yeah. That there's going to be repetition. But at the same time, life without a little bit of chaos can be boring, right? If it's if it really is just the same thing yeah. 
over and over again. We need some irregularity, and yeah. newness. And um, I think about God's words, let there be light, you know, that you read in Genesis. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and from then on, um, you know, we have this idea, like you said, of order. order. And the sun is yeah. what starts the day. Mm-hmm. And actually, as I think about it, I mean... If this, you know, you say, well, this is a really terrible thing that happened, but you know what? The sun's still going to come up tomorrow. What if it doesn't? In Egypt, it yeah, didn't. It didn't, yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, uh-huh. it there was darkness. Yeah, but, it did, yeah. but I mean, like, just, no, there's darkness, darkness. pitch yeah. black darkness. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, that's fascinating. Now, so I, I read here that there was a story, right? So yes. in order for the sun to rise, right, Yeah. the Egyptians thought... So they had this idea that this, when the sun set, Ra had to make this night journey. And on this night journey, there was this serpent named Apophis, or uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but uh, who the whole time was trying to consume Ra. And Apophis was, the, he was a, uh, a snake. It was a symbol of chaos. And so it was really this, not battle, but this journey that Ra, who's the keeper of order, yeah. has to go on every night to get to the, so, to the, to the, back to the east where he can rise right. and so then every, maintain the order. Every every sunrise was almost a victory. He did it. He yeah, did. he did. And so when it doesn't rise, when it doesn't rise these Egyptians are thinking, oh man, the serpent ate the ate yes, Ra. Right. That's exactly, they're thinking, wow. it's, they're literally thinking that the world has ended. Yeah. That, um, that Apophis has eaten the sun mm-hmm. and has risen. Right. That would be the natural conclusion for this. And yet their leader... I mean, the, the but verse 27, chapter 10, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he, he would not let them go. go. This yeah. is after, after it's, it's lifted. Um, and that's just, that's, that's incredible though, because I, you know, you yeah. got to wonder that Pharaoh's mm-hmm. got some people, of course, Pharaoh himself was considered to be a God, right. according right. to what we and know. That's, that's one of the, he's the, the target of that tent, that final plague with the, um, mm-hmm. you know, when he, when God kills the firstborn. Yeah. But, yeah, that is incredible. So, so why does this matter, Bar? Why does all this matter? So, well, what's interesting about the the snake story specifically, and this this plague of darkness is, God is basically saying, "I bring order." Right? I mean, this the the thing that the Egyptian mythology feared most has just happened, and life keeps going. Right? And one of the things that God is saying is. You stop looking to these false gods, these deities that don't exist, to bring order and certainty to your life, right? I am the one who created everything, and I am the one who maintains it. And even if the sun does not rise, Yahweh is still in, the one, still in control. He still brings certainty and stability mm-hmm. to, to life. But the, if we take a step back and kind of look at the plagues as a whole... It's really, it's this cosmic battle between God and these, you know, air quotes, gods. And I think especially in our culture where uh, sort of the me and Jesus idea is so prevalent of just, and yes, we all like the, there's a, there has to be a personal element of faith and right. God saves individuals, but we can forget that um, God's victories are always cosmic victories over the forces of evil. And it's never, he never just, 
it's never he never saves individuals apart from that cosmic element. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, no, I'm so glad you used that word because I feel like <clears throat> the whole the whole thing, you know, since since Genesis mm-hmm. <clears throat> and specifically Genesis three fifteen, I mean, we 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 are essentially in a cosmic war. The whole yeah. thing, yes, uh, has been it's, a cosmic mm-hmm. war, and uh, you know, it's 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 God's. God's yeah. plan, and He, and there's nothing mm-hmm. that can stop it. There's nothing that can get in the way of it. Way. You know, yeah. um, and it's encouraging. You know, the fact that God prophesied that they'd be in slavery for as long as they, and it was mm-hmm. 400 years. Is that yeah, what it was? So He, I think He tells Abraham, uh-huh. like, "This is gonna uh-huh. happen." You know, you got to think that they they knew, you know, that yeah. that they were supposed to be freed at some point. But man, how many generations? Um, you know, and mm-hmm. how, how, when do you lose hope? And then all of a sudden, you know, then you, God moves and God acts. And, um, when he decides to deliver, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's the, one of the best stories in the entire Bible. I mean, it's yeah. the one that shapes everything. It it's, sets up mm-hmm. the, it sets up the Passover, which is totally, you know, a foreshadowing yeah. Calvary's cross yes. and what happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and yeah. that happened on Passover. Think, yes. So, um, I mean, it's it's really the, the whole story in and of itself is so encouraging, and how it it just points to yeah. uh, the gospel, the gospel, right? And the fact that Christ's victory was over, you know, the forces of evil. Um, I mean, I was going to yeah. read from Colossians two, verse fifteen, where it says, uh, "He Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him." Uh, that. Right, that on the cross, Jesus, he died for your sins and mine, but he died to conquer the forces of evil. And uh, the forces of evil that exist in our own hearts, the forces of evil that exist, um, you know, of, of Satan and the, yeah. um, the world around us. But Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me that he did it through death. He sh- you yeah, know, he shattered yeah. death. But death was meant, you know, mm-hmm. was a consequence of... And was used, you know, uh, by by Satan as mm-hmm. as this. I have the earth, you know. I yeah, I yeah. won, mm-hmm. and yet he. That's always been fascinating to me to, to be able to use that, you know, to make a way, to, a path to salvation. Okay. Yes. It just once again proves yeah. he's God over mm-hmm. everything. Over everything. Yeah. Okay. So there's this cosmic war that that Christ achieves victory in on the cross that we continue to look forward to final victory. Mm. Uh, but it still kind of begs the question, right, of where where are we yeah. in this war? Yeah, and, and it, it can kind of, I want to be careful when I say this because I don't want to, you know, like give credence to to bad theology, but we are the objects of that cosmic war, uh, and, yeah. and, and Christ is the, the, the you know, the, the center of yeah. it all, yeah. but certainly, you know, we may lose this notion now maybe as Western mm-hmm. um uh, believers in, in the West, but you know, used to just be pretty much assumed that you know Earth is sandwiched in between a heaven and a hell. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and then and you then and you have these. I mean, if anything, you know, these what we see here in in the Book of Exodus is you have these these warring forces. Yeah, and you know they may be left to do all this bad stuff. And you mentioned the flood at the beginning mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, we, there was evil in our hearts, and there's. But when God decides to move, 
you know, whether he's uh, moving over the face of the waters to to begin creation or to send yeah. the deluge or to deliver, you know, his people after 400 years of slavery. Like, we have a... You, you could definitely say that we're the objects of this cosmic mm-hmm. war because God died for us. Yeah. So we have an in, yes. in, in, yeah. in immense value, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Cosmic yes. war, for Cosmic sure. Cosmic war, yeah. And, and then the whole idea of Romans 5 of us being God's enemies, that, you know, that he's, it's amazing, like he's waging war against mm-hmm. human sin, but for us, you know, at the same time. And yeah. it's just, it's one of the, you know, those it's, beautiful paradoxes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but in, that's the mystery, you yes. know, and that's yeah. why the, that's why I think the scripture's inexhaustible, mm-hmm. the gospel's inexhaustible. You know, I, I so, you know, am in, in oftentimes very envious Mm-hmm. When when the Bible says you know as Christ you know when Christ resurrected he's on the road and he explained to them the mystery yes. of the gospel and yeah. that's the mystery that is you know still changing lives today yeah. um, saving souls mm-hmm. today yeah how many how many people in Exodus like how these Hebrews that were delivered and 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 you know mm-hmm. what what did they yeah. do you yeah. know. And what's what's fascinating in this story too is that you get God right. He is he delivers the Israelites out of bondage to Egypt, but you see he also delivers Egyptians from the bondage of their gods. In Exodus twelve verse thirty eight, it says, or I'll start in verse thirty seven. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about six hundred thousand men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. So most scholars think that mixed multitude was Egyptians who yeah. had seen these plagues, had seen their gods made a fool of, and decided to follow Yahweh. Wow! And so they, when the Israelites left, they left as well. Praise um, the Lord! That's awesome. I, I didn't even, yeah. I did not know that. Um, it's just this beautiful picture that when God uh, delivers us, He delivers us from the 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 things that we want that we're the false things that we put our hope in and he um, shows us often through trials and through through pain how those things can't save us they can't give us hope or joy that only god can give us a hope and a future mm-hmm. um, and just we see this this, this beautiful picture of god so, bringing you know those who are not his people and making them to yeah. be his people. Yeah, there's a Gentile thread in there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how um, you and I are consider. Uh, yeah, considering the the symbolism, the Passover, mm-hmm. and all that tradition that it's set up and everything else. Um, and that's incredible that that he is rebuking the things that we worship, that we put our hope in. He's doing that. He he yeah. does it in our lives every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have one question for you, Bar. Yeah. How does Moses make his coffee? I don't know. How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. <laughs> All right, so I think that's it for Sounds good this to me. podcast. Yeah. You want to end here? Sounds good. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, God bless everybody who's uh, listening to this podcast of Christ Redeemer PCA.